join me in prayer, won't you? Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for friends. Thank you for family. Thank you that we're, uh, we're healthy and we're able to hear from you today. And above all else, we acknowledge the presence of your son, Jesus, who's here. And we ask that you would speak to us today. So we'll be strengthened and encouraged and hopeful, maybe about circumstances that, that cause us to have despair. You'll bring us hope today and joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As you're seated, would you move towards the center aisle just in case we've got a few folks coming in and whisper to your neighbor... Which sports team has the most unwavering fans? First service, it was the Cubs. We had Chicago Cub. We got Raider fans. Warrior fans. Warrior Giants. Someone said Giants first service, and someone said New York Giants. <laughs> San Francisco. Unwavering fans today, unwavering fans, King fans here today, unwavering King fans, right here, plural, we got two, three, we're at three, going once, four, oh, Gator fans, Gator fans, who are the most unwavering fans in the U.S., who do you say? Pittsburgh Steelers, okay. All right, today, listen, how many of you are just not sports fans at all? You're like, yeah. How many of you are NASCAR fans? Yeah, okay, all right, that's fun. Well, if you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and today we are going to talk about how to build a, a great foundation, how to build a solid foundation of faith. And I look around here, and even the first service, we have lots of adventurers who've really been challenged to have an unwavering faith, kind of like a, a Kings fan. You got to have an unwavering faith, right? You got to believe that it's coming. It's coming. When those winds are going to start moving up a little bit, it's coming. And you, in our Christian faith, we have to have that kind of resilience, that kind of grit, that kind of perseverance, because things change. We experience tremors in our life. We experience little, sometimes quakes in our life. We experience sometimes monster quakes in our life. Expectations we never, ever imagined find their way onto the grid of our everyday. And I want to ask you, maybe you saw the e-newsletter this week. Do you know the safest place to be during an earthquake in San Francisco? Safest place to be, bar none. It's the Golden Gate Bridge. Did you know in 19, on May 24th, 1987, at the golden anniversary of the completion of the Golden Gate Bridge, did you know there were 300,000 citizens from the city on that bridge? 300,000. How many of you are susceptible to claustrophobia? Okay. This is what it would have looked like. 300,000 people on that bridge. And what makes that bridge so substantial is that those, those footings are so deeply poured, so deeply poured, so strong. Cables 
three feet in diameter. In cables that measure at three feet in diameter. Cables, three feet in diameter. Allow that bridge to flex. Did you know that that bridge itself, designed with a curve for aesthetic looking, aesthetic, 16 feet. It's flexible, okay? So the safest place to be is the place with deep roots, high cables, and flexibility. Imagine having a faith like the Golden Gate Bridge, a faith that can withstand immediate change at work, family life that you never expected. Imagine having a faith that gives you great confidence, not arrogance, but great confidence in the face of a big next step you're taking because you know Jesus is with you. Imagine having a faith where you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. You're proud of it in a culture that is poking quite a bit. You've got great confidence because you've got a faith that's deep. You've got a faith that can flex. You've got a faith that is suspended in the midst of great difficulty. And when you're challenged, the people around you find great comfort to be around you because they see your faith. Faith is critical. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Would you like to have a faith like that? A faith where you can take steps that you sense God's prompting you to take because you, you know he loves you, you know you're God's child, you know that he's with you all the time. And when you're taking steps you shouldn't, you know you shouldn't. And you're like, not going to do that. Because you go forward by faith and you back up by faith. This morning we're going to talk about how to build a solid foundation. And we're going to look, if, if you came in this morning and you were handed an outline, I'm going to especially need you to grab it today, because I'm going to give you four ways to build a solid foundation, and you're going to, this is something you can write notes on, and also on this is an outline of the Gospel of John, which we've been in now for since Mother's Day, and the Gospel of John is a different camera view of the life of Jesus. In the first 11 chapters, we have the first three years of his life. In chapter 12, we have a week. That's where we're at today. And then in chapters 13 through 21, it's three months and three days. John just was that disciple like I would have wanted to be, the one Jesus liked the most. Wouldn't you like to have been John? He likes you the most. And John just got a different angle. He had more access to Jesus, especially at the priestly quarters in the last few hours of his life, and he gives us great views of it. Today, I want to help build your faith. Would you join me in that effort? I want you to leave with a, an understanding of how God may be trying to solidify your faith personally, even in the midst of real challenging situations. Real challenging. Here we go. Let's, let's read the scriptures, and as we get to the red, if you would say them with me as I slow down for you, it would be awesome. Six days before Passover, that's a Jewish festival, Jesus came to Bethany, that's two miles outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So Jesus was raised Lazarus from the dead as a sign of the fact that his father was going to raise his own life from the dead. 
Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Some people, the way they worship Jesus is they serve, and they serve passionately. You know anyone like that? I do. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Can you imagine the jokes there? Hey, Lazarus. You still kind of smell. Or, hey, Lazarus, don't be going, don't die on us now. I can't promise we'll raise you up from the dead again. I mean, this was the story in the uh, metropolitan area of Jerusalem. Jesus raised this guy from the dead. He'd been dead for four days. Okay? When you do that, it gets people's attention. Then Mary, Mary, Mary was a real contemplative, passionate. She was the one that loved to hear Jesus teach. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. He did some, she did something here that was a little... Um, that lacked a little, I would just say it was extravagant because she, she undid her hair, which women typically didn't do in the first century in public, and she, she, she took the nard and she used her hair to, to wipe Jesus' feet. And he thought it was awesome. <laughs> you know, sometimes when people are extravagant, we might like think that's weird, but Jesus says it's awesome. This is what happened. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Iscariot, who later, who was later to betray him, that is Jesus, he objected. Judas was a real gifted criticizer. He said this, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, John, the author, says he knows Judas. He knew him. John says this, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, John called Judas out. You know, sometimes we need to be called a little bag, Judas maintained. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Oh, wasn't that a nice way of caring for himself? Jesus calls Judas out. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. What a, what a commentary on how sometimes God resources us with energy, with vision, with perfume for a specific moment to honor God. That's what happened with her. Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So that's the dinner scene. That's dinner. This is the parade scene. The next day, the great, a great crowd came for the festival. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in Hebrew means save us, Lord. Save us. They really believed that Jesus was there to save them from the Roman Empire. They wanted to be, they wanted to be released from these uh, leaders. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. That's a, a writing from David. Blessed is the king of Israel. When they're saying that, they're saying, you are here to save us from Rome. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming. Jesus knew who he was. He is a rightful king to the, uh, Jude in the Judean dynasty line. Seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. 
Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to many people because they had heard that he had performed this sign went out to meet him. They just want to see him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone out to meet him. By the way, just fast forward 40 years and the whole Roman Empire will know about him. From Jerusalem to Rome to Spain to Britannia to North Africa to Egypt to Ethiopia to the whole Mediterranean area. This, this message is going to go, go Roman here really quick. Now, there was in the crowd some Greeks. Greeks love wisdom. Oh, sophos. They love wisdom. That's what they prize themselves on. Among those who went up to the worship at the festival, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Would you have been amongst that crowd? Wouldn't you like to just see him? Like, just see his non-royal look. He had no royalty that we would be attracted to him. Simplicity, humility, empathy. He had all that. Just to go up and see him, see what that looks like, and to look into the eyes of the one who is God who made you in the womb of your mother. That would have been awesome. Agreed? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Jesus... We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. You can see this. Go, 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 tell, tell, go. Okay, go, tell. Heat that guy. Jesus replied, and here's his wisdom. Here's his answer for the Greeks that want to see him. He's going to give them true wisdom here. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's, there's their nugget that they traveled to Jerusalem to hear. Question we're going to answer. How do we build a deeper foundation, a more flexible foundation in our faith with, with the cables that can handle the winds and the challenges how do, we, how do we develop a very deep faith? I want to tell you how to do that. Because you're, we're all going to need it at some place or another. This week, I needed it for a day. Praise the Lord. It, it got better. But we're all going to need it. Number one, <clears throat> faith is born by the shock of recognition. The shock of recognition. If you have your outline, you might peek at it. It might help you follow. The shock of recognition was an experience that Lazarus and all his dinner guests had. They realized this man of power and compassion is God's son. At the parade, they recognized who he was, the king of Israel. Was he the one who who came to understand that not only was he the one who who believed that, they also came to understand because they heard Jesus say, people were confronting Jesus about the fact that people were praising him. And Jesus said, if these folks stop praising me, the rocks themselves will praise me. Jesus was trying to let people know that even rocks themselves would, could acknowledge his presence in Jerusalem. Have you had that moment in your life where you have experienced that kind of shock of who Jesus is personally? 
I remember when I was about 12 years old, I started getting exposed to Christianity. I hung out with Christians, and they would say stuff like, praise the Lord. And I'm like, whoa, what are you saying? We would be out in public, and my uncle used to always do this. We would keep, he would keep the convertible top of his rabbit convertible down, and we would be driving through the streets of Laguna Beach, and he would play Chuck Smith really loud. This is a pastor from Southern California. And now if you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And I wasn't a very spiritual person at that place in my life. I wasn't looking to learn the Bible. I was looking for girls, women, women, whatever we called them back then, babes. And I just was like, oh, turn that down. I'm never going to get a girlfriend with, with that being played so loud in the car. And I was learning how to, how to, to see how great Jesus was at a young age. And it started to open up my heart. Have you had that moment where you've realized how special, how incredible Jesus is? How he wants to be a part of every part of your life. And he wants to be the Lord of your heart. And how do you start? Like, how do you start that? It's, it's real simple. You believe that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ. That whoever believed on him would never perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son on a Roman cross like that, that whoever believed on him wouldn't perish. That means we're going to die, but we're not going to perish. We get to go to the next life. And we would have everlasting life, not only in the next life, but in this life. It's a good life. There's abundance. There's not scarcity. There's abundance of peace and joy. There's an abundance of Christ's character in us. That's the real kingdom of God, according to Paul. And it happens when you recognize who Jesus is and you let him into your heart. What's holding you back from doing that? From letting Jesus become the sovereign, from giving him the leadership role of your heart. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's making a decision to let him in. And let him rule your heart and let him deal with all your weirdness. You have weirdness, right? If you don't think you do, turn to someone that you came with and say, do I have any weirdness here? They will acknowledge, yes, you do. You let him deal with that. You'll get healthier. You'll be happier. You'll have more joy. Some of you are back in the weirdness. I don't think I do have any weirdness. I don't think I got any. I'm a little unique, you know. No, you let him rule this. Maybe you've never made that decision. Today, I'm going to give you a chance to. Because it's where the joy is. You recognize who he is, God's son who loves us. That's going to start your faith development. And I, I haven't told many of you this. I wasn't raised in a Christian home at all. When I first got introduced to Jesus, it changed my whole life. But it was Jesus. It wasn't a system. It wasn't a bunch of rules. It was him. Okay? That's what I want you to recognize. Number two, faith requires a response. If you have your outline here, you can see that in that dinner room scene, those close to Jesus were responding. Martha was serving. And for you, the way you love Jesus may be serving. I look around here. We've got a lot of people that serve a lot. That's your love language, serving. That's how you convey to Christ your love for him is you get engaged and you're serving. It's not the only way, but that's one way. Jesus said, 
that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he will say here in just a moment that wherever I am, there my servants will be also. Word of Jesus Christ. A bondservant is someone who willingly places themselves as somebody else's servant. When's the last time you told your brother, I'm kind of position? It's never happened, I'm imagining. John, rather James, had that kind of position related to his brother, servant. Martha is serving at this dinner. And let me tell you, can you imagine the, the dinner experience they're having together with Jesus? I mean, she may not have been a, you know, a three-star Michelin, you know, chef. But when you got Jesus there, you're not really paying attention to the food, are you? Like some folks might say, oh, how was the food? Oh, it's terrible. But Jesus really made it all so enjoyable. What an event. Martha's serving. Mary is worshiping. And, and extravagantly giving. And Jesus, Jesus just a, 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 affirms her worship. You know, to worship does mean sometimes to kiss the ground before somebody. To kiss the ground before somebody. She's, with, with her hair, she's, she's, hum, she's humbly washing his feet. She's kissing the ground before him. And she's giving him a, a year's wage. Can you imagine that? A year's wage? She's giving it to him. She's worshiping. She's extravagantly giving. Is God prompting you to be more worshipful in your life? Because let me tell you, Jesus won't push you back. He'll accept it. Let me say that again. If you decide to start worshiping Jesus extravagantly, he won't reject that. He will accept it. He created you. He wants you to acknowledge that That position he has in your life, that position he had in your mother's womb when he created you. He wants that kind of adoration and praise from you. And he wants your generous, extravagant giving towards him because you're acknowledging that everything you have is from him. So you got Martha serving, you've got Mary worshiping with extravagant generosity. And you've got Lazarus. He's sitting, but he's just chilling and he's telling the story. Again, Lazarus, what was it like in heaven? Tell us. Well, when I got there, and probably like a lot of afterlife experiences you read about, like in the book Heaven for Real, Lazarus is like, the sound that I heard was unbelievable. The choir that I heard, unbelievable. I didn't want to leave. I saw so many relatives, so many people I didn't know. My great, 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 great was there. And I saw all these. It was an amazing experience. I didn't even want to come back. That's what you hear from people that have afterlife experiences. He's witnessing. So Lazarus is witnessing. Mary's worshiping and extravagantly giving. And Martha is serving And Judas is criticizing. I wonder if there's a connection. If I'm not worshiping and I'm not extravagantly giving, if I'm not testifying, what's left to do? Uh, 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 uh. Oh, it could have been so much better. Oh, you got, oh, such issues. Oh, you just, you just, you're so short. You're not, uh, I'm five ten. I got the high shoes on today. Yeah, yeah. You just, just, just poking. That was his gift. You know, some people feel like they really have a gift of criticism. They're talented at it, and there is such a thing as an editor. You need editors. You need people who are critical around you. 
But sometimes they, they say stuff at the wrong time. Let me tell you, Judas' gift was objecting to people's worship and generosity. Judah was just critical. Be very careful of having a critical spirit. There's not a lot of longevity in that. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of peace in that. Don't be too critical. There's, there's a saying some of my friends say, criticize people in person, praise people in public. It's okay to be critical, but have the character to do it face-to-face. Have the crucial conversation. And then have the character in public to praise, right? Don't lie, but praise. Yeah, he's amazing. Don't, 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 don't say that. Okay, number three. Hello, fellow adventurers. You're I want you to meet my friend, Ronnie McComer. He and his wife are going to the if Czech Republic as missionaries. If you're interested in finding out more about our ministry, text your name and email address to the number on the screen. Hi, this is I'm there. Ronnie Makeumber with Teach Beyond, and I'm at the Great Sand Dunes National Park with my family as we make our trek to our family reunion. And as I approach these dunes behind me, I see various footprints leading to different ways that I could take my walk up the dunes. Uh, some of them, I'm not sure they're taking the best route to get there, and some of them might have a completely different destination in mind than I have. Also, as I approach the dunes, I think about taking that first step and how I'm committing myself to something possibly more challenging than I, in my flesh, want to do right now. And our Christian walk is very much like that. Uh, there, God is calling us to take steps of faith and obedience The Bible tells us that God has preordained works for us to do, that we should walk in them. God has put steps before us. He's made a path for us to walk in. When we step in obedience, there is another step for us to take, and another, and another yet. So wherever we are in our walk, that can be intimidating to take that next step God is calling us into, not because that next step is necessarily scary, but we're afraid of what we might be called into as we continue taking those steps of faith. And I think about this because a lot of people say, well, this is a really big step for your family moving to the Czech Republic and doing mission there. And I feel like while it is a big change in our life for two years, it is not a big step. It is just another step. There have been steps that God has been calling us into in faith and obedience. We have been taking those steps. And this is just another step on the path, on the walk God has for us. What is God calling you into? What is his next step for you? What is the work that he has preordained that you should walk in? Love that. So how do you develop a solid faith? You resp- how do you develop a solid foundation? You respond by faith to what God's calling you to do. Like Martha, you start serving. Like Mary, you start worshiping and giving. Like Lazarus, you start testifying. Around here, I can tell you, from the children's ministry, I've heard, we need a couple new small group leaders for the, for the children. If that's a step for you to take, take out your Connect card and let us know, hey, I'm willing to, um, to, to care for some young people in our children's ministry. I'd love to serve in that capacity. We need some new people to help with coffee. Coffee. We've got a lot of people that drink coffee. We don't have a lot of people that actually help us serve it. And maybe you're like, well, I don't even like coffee. Well, you're perfect. You won't drink it all. We need, we need some help just serving coffee on Sundays. If that's you, just put coffee. Put me down. I'm willing to serve. 
Uh, those are, if you're interested, if you're a young adult here and young adult qualifies, you know, like 49 and younger, you know, you, you want to hang out with some of our 20-somethings. We've got a new 20-something group we're so excited about. If you're not connected, boy, just write on your Connect card, YA. That's the fancy acronym for young adults. We want to get you connected so you can do life with them. We think it's so critical. So a next step is a faith response. Like the McComber family that's been with us for a few years, they're saying, hey, God's called us to go to the Czech Republic. They're going to serve missionary families. They're an amazing family. If you're more interested more in them uh, and they're supporting their ministry, let us know. The, the third way we develop a solid faith is we acknowledge that we're going to experience occasional wavering. We're going to experience occasional wavering. Now, you know as fans, a real fan uh, isn't, um, isn't a wavering fan. The, the early fans of Jesus were struggling not to waver. Notice on your outline, under this point, occasional wavering. The next day, the great crowd shouting Hosanna, which means save us. Many people went out to meet him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So there's this incredible momentum to follow Jesus. But then you can see there's some fear, some fear, which I think is very true of our Christian community. At the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. They wouldn't go public with their faith because they were afraid they would be put out of the synagogue, which meant no opportunity for uh, commerce, support, friends. And this is what, how John describes them. They loved human praise. That means they liked, uh, they, were, they, were, they were Instagram and Facebook lovers that loved likes and followers. They loved human praise more than praise from God. They loved human praise more than praise from God. So how do we, how do we, of how do we acknowledge we're going to have moments of wavering, but also seize those moments to really grow in our faith? And this week, I got to be with a gal who's experiencing a monster quake. That means a really, a 7.9 on the Richter scale in her, in her family, and it personally, really. And she, she quoted this verse to me this week. She said, I have to remember what Jesus' brother James said. James said, consider it all joy, my brethren, when we encounter various trials and tribulations. Because trials and the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And then she said, and let, she's quoting James, and let perseverance finish its work so that we might be mature and complete. How do we, how do we deal with an occasional wavering in our child rearing, an occasional wa- wavering in our professional calling. How do we deal with that? Hey, we finish. We finish. You don't quit. Y- you finish. P- James said, let perseverance have its work. You stay in, you stay leaned in, and you don't quit. When you don't quit, you develop grit. Things get better. Things get better in a marriage according to marriage and family life therapists, just by staying together. They get better. After 30 years, my wife, she's, she's convinced I was the one for her. It just takes time. It doesn't change overnight. But I got to tell you, 30 years later, it's good living. It's good living. Hang in there. Let perseverance 
finish its work. There's something that happens when you keep enduring that matures you, that completes you. That's how you're going to have that's how you're going to have a solid faith. Finish, don't quit. Angela Duckworth wrote a brilliant book on all of it called Grit. And I actually I got to tell you one thing. She notes that the people with the most grit, the the ability to not quit, that's grit. Are people in their 50s? Thought that was important for me to think about. Here we go. <laughs> the older you get, the more grit you get, hopefully. How faith is challenged. Occasional wavering. How do, you, how do you resist the wavering? Let perseverance complete its work in you. Don't quit. Whatever you're in, don't quit. It's okay to get fired. It's okay to be told you're worthless, except by people close to you, but don't quit. Okay? Lastly, how faith changes everything, you got to die to yourself. Did you hear Jesus' words to the Greeks? Unless a seed dies... It doesn't produce anything. But if it dies, it produces a multitude. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it to for eternal life. Now, Jesus here is not recommending self-mutilation here at all. He's not saying hate yourself at all. Part of becoming a believer is realizing God loves you and you can love others and you can also love yourself. And then Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant must be also. My father will honor the one who serves me. How do you know you're really dying to self? It's this way. You've really buried your life. You bury your life. And you, you, you trust your life with Jesus. Everything, your career, your marriage. You, you never say, oh, this is never going to work out. This is never going to happen. No, you always have the Jesus factor who can do the impossible, change things overnight. Here's, here's how we know this. We know, we acknowledge Jesus' power. That's the last, almost the second to the last fill-in on your outline if you're OCD like me. It's Jesus' power. And it's his power in you that can help you persevere. You've got you've to acknowledge that power's there. And then it's Jesus' compassion that'll help give you the empathy to really, when you die to yourself, when you bury your life, power comes into you and you become a more empathetic, compassionate person. And let me tell you, everyone wants to be around someone that loves people, that's empathetic, that's relationally intelligent. It's a great person to be around. When I was 20 years old, I've shared this before, this idea of dying to myself was kind of hard. I was 20 years old. Melissa and I had been married. We lived in a huge modular home. And I just remember being outside and Melissa just giving me a little word. She said, you know what? If you'd... I struggled with depression at age 20. And I guess my depression was mild. It was... I didn't be young. But this is what a Southerner told me. She said, if you'd stop thinking about yourself, you wouldn't be depressed anymore. And uh, What? No, she, she clarified. She repeated it. She thought it would, emphasis would help. If you'd stop thinking about yourself, you wouldn't be depressed. And I was like, is it possible to not think about myself? I really wondered, is that possible? There's so much to think about, right? And it was. And it, it redeemed me. 
to actually start training my mind not to be overly self-aware. Dying to myself. Bearing my life. Loving myself, but not thinking of myself all the time. I got to tell you, it changed the trajectory of my mental health at age 20. I just started getting better, slowly. That's what it means to die. And this week, in my own home, so proud of one of my sons, contemplating a big decision, and he said this. He said, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. And he was making a decision to obey Jesus in an area he felt was really important. And a lot of times, it doesn't make sense. You don't feel like it at all. But you're doing it because you sense that's, the, that's what it means to deny yourself and to love Jesus more than you love your own life. What did Jesus say? Whoever loves his life in this world will lose it. But if you lose your life in this world for Christ's sake, you will, you will find it. You'll find it. Self-denial is the, is the key. And this willingness to take a step of faith that feels like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Mm-mm. But it feels like the right thing to do. All right? That's, that's the life Jesus is calling you to. Total self-denial. I wonder if there's like a crucial conversation you need to have that means bearing your own life. I wonder if there's a step you need to take that means that's going to require total self-denial. But you know the Lord's leading you that direction. Because he wants your faith to be solid in the midst of difficulties. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder today that our trials, our tribulations are by design for our maturity and completion Help us all let perseverance finish its work in us. Help us all have the grit to not quit. If that that speaks to you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I've got to learn to embrace and let perseverance have its work in me. Great. I see lots of hands up. Lord, there are others of us that perhaps have been challenged to really bury our own life, to be less self-aware to be more other-centered, to allow our mind to go a different direction and focus on serving you, not ourselves. If that spoke to you this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray for those that sense they need to really bury their own life and become more other-centered and less self-centered. Would you please give them the grace to do that? And for others that need to let perseverance finish its work in their life, to have more grit, and maybe even to challenge their own children to have more grit, would you please give them the grace and the strength to do that? I wonder if there's other folks that when I was talking about having a critical spirit, you would just acknowledge you have a gift for that. That sometimes you just, it's what you do. You're just too critical. And you need to work on it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? No one's looking. Father, would you please help those who've said, I can be critical? Would you show them that that you want to use them to be loving and caring towards others and build others up? And if they do have an ability to speak truth, would you give them the courage to have a one-on-one with the person that they're trying to build up? 
and help them praise people in public. And if you're here today and you've never been shocked by recognizing who Jesus is, you've never made him the Lord, the sovereign, that you needed someone to do that. You're ready to today. You're ready to believe that Christ died for your sins because you needed someone to do that. You're selfish and self-absorbed and you need forgiveness, and you're ready to accept him so you can enjoy the life that is truly life. You're ready to do that today. I want to ask you right from where you're seated to just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be the leader and Lord of my life. Again, here's the prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. Be the leader and Lord of my life. And if that's your prayer this morning for the first time, I want to acknowledge your decision. Would you just raise your hand from where you're seated? Anyone saying yes? Yes, sir, I see your hand. Anybody else? saying, Jesus, I want you to be the leader and Lord of my life today. I'm ready to go forward. Anyone else? Anyone saying yes to Christ? Why not today? Why wait? He wants to change your life. Anybody else saying yes to Christ today? Throw your hand up. I want to celebrate. Praise the Lord, sir, in the back. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Anyone else? Jesus, we give you all the credit We submit to your authority, and we enjoy being your children and enjoying life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we had a couple men raise their hands this morning. Awesome. It's the life that's truly life. Gentlemen, as you leave the services today, there's a prayer room right there. If you you have a moment, step in there and just say, hey, I raised my hand. You don't even have to lift it high. You can just go like that. And they want to pray for you. If you need to beeline out of here, There's a table in our lobby with survival boxes. It has a great Bible in it, uh, edited by Eugene Peterson. It's the message. It's an excellent translation. I want you to have it on your way out.